Good morning, church. We are in the second week of our sermon series called Kill the Spider. And as you know, it's based on a book with the same name by Carlos Whitaker. And last week, we talked about how the Christian life isn't always filled with smooth sailing, that we all face ups and downs in our spiritual lives, that we have times, as the psalmist says, when we are walking in green pastures and alongside quiet streams, and other times when we face the deepest, darkest valleys. Sometimes these difficult times just come out of the blue. They just happen. And other times we bring them on ourselves by our actions, our inactions, our words and deeds. And sometimes they are brought on because of the evil in this world. We are all in the midst of a spiritual battle with an enemy who has come to steal, kill, and destroy. He does this by feeding us lies and then by convincing us that those lies are true. And so in this series, we're using the imagery of cobwebs and spiders. Now, spiders in this series are the agreements that we have made with the lies that the enemy has planted in our minds and hearts. Lies that sound like phrases such as, you're not good enough. Your life has no purpose. You're worthless. You aren't loved. You're a failure. We remember our past and we go over it over and again in our minds. We carry our load of shame, regret, anger, and sadness so that we get all tangled up in our past and we don't focus on the present, which is right there in front of us. And when we come to believe these lies, it is often only subconsciously. And we look for ways to comfort ourselves and to escape the pain that these lies create in us. We look for ways to medicate ourselves to ease the pain. These are our cobwebs. Cobwebs which give a false comfort to the lies we have come to believe about ourselves or about God. And cobwebs aren't always easy to clean up. Sometimes we actually get so used to them that we start not even noticing them anymore. And then every once in a while, something in life happens and our cobwebs become glaringly apparent to ourselves and to others And then we may scurry around trying to clean them up, promising to never let our cobwebs entangle us again. The only problem with that is, unless we get to the root of the problem, the cobwebs are going to come back. Because the only way to get rid of our cobwebs for good is to kill the spider. And so why should we want to do the hard work of identifying our cobwebs and ultimately kill our spiders? Well, let's turn to Scripture, which I think is always the best place to begin. In a moment, I'm going to share a passage from the book of Hebrews. But just before the passage that I'm going to read, the author talks about the faithfulness of God's people throughout the ages. That's in Hebrews chapter 11. 
And he starts all the way back in Genesis 1, and he mentions famous people like Abel and Enoch, Noah and Abraham. Every single one of these Bible people were so faithful to God, and yet at the same time, they were so flawed. But through it all, they looked forward to the promise of God. Hebrews chapter 12 begins this way. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. You see, the author of Hebrews compares our Christian life to a race, one in which we are being cheered on by every saint who has ever faithfully lived and died. Those saints want us to be victorious, and in order to do that, we have to get rid of everything that hinders us. You know, in, in real road racers, races, runners do exactly that. They'll wear the lightest clothing possible because every extra ounce you wear can contribute seconds or minutes to your time. When mornings on race day are cold, you'll see runners that are wearing hats and gloves and, and sweatshirts and, and sweatpants. But as the race starts and as the morning begins to warm up or as their body temperature begins to warm off, they throw off the hats and the gloves, the sweatshirts, sometimes even the sweatpants. So much clothing is discarded at big races that I was reading just recently that there are some nonprofit groups now that go along and gather up all the clothing from races and donate it to homeless shelters. Thousands of pieces of clothing in local races. Well, not only do we want to throw off the things that hinder us, but also the sin which so easily entangles you see, that's what a cobweb does, right? It entangles us. And the Christian life is a race. And cobwebs only trip us up and slow us down. And what happens if we decide not to do anything about our cobwebs? Well, we get stuck in a cycle. A cycle which we just can't seem to get out of. And one of the best examples of our human propensity to get caught in these cycles is found right in the Bible, in the book of Judges. In fact, the whole book is about this cycle that keeps happening. Remember, the book of Judges takes place after the Israelites have come out of the land of Egypt and they have entered the promised land. Their first two great leaders, Moses and Joshua, are dead at this point in history. But the point in history where they have a king ruling over them hasn't come yet. And so during this in-between time, God raised up various judges to lead them. And what would happen is the Israelites would fall into a cycle that would start by resistance and rebellion to God's commands. And that would be followed by a foreign nation coming in and overpowering them. And eventually the Israelites would cry out to the Lord for help. God would raise up a judge to rescue them. This was followed by a time of repentance and rescue, which was followed by a period of peace. But before too awful long, the cycle 
would always start over again. A good example of one of these cycles can be found in Judges chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them over into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. You see, that's the first part of the cycle. The Israelites did evil. The Midianites took over, and Israel cried out to the Lord. Verse 7, when the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians, and I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live. But you have not listened to me. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abizarite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. <laughs> Gideon must have been surprised to hear the angel call him a mighty warrior because his actions show him to be more of a scaredy cat. He's not out there in the open field threshing wheat on a threshing floor where the Midianites might see him and come and steal his wheat. No, he's hiding out in a wine press, which was often carved out of a rock, like in a cave. He's hiding from the Midianites, afraid. Verse 13, Pardon me, my lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all of this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. Gideon is depressed. Gideon feels abandoned by God. Like God doesn't even care about his people anymore. He's lost hope. But the angel continues speaking for God. He says, The Lord turned to him and said, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? 
My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. Gideon doesn't believe he can do what God has told him to do. He's from the wrong family. He didn't have the right upbringing or education. He's too weak. And he's probably been told his whole life that he'll never amount to very much. And Gideon believed the lies. And fear is one of the spiders weaving its cobwebs in Gideon's life. Now, if you read the rest of Gideon's story, God does use Gideon to crush the Midianites, and he gives Israel their freedom back. But it's a short-lived victory, because no sooner did Gideon die than Israel again did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and the cycle started all over again. So in order to break our own cycles, we have to first identify our own cobwebs because it's only after we can begin to locate our spider. Now remember, cobwebs are medicators that bring false comfort to a lie. I want to first share some of the examples that Carlos Whitaker shares in his book. For him, one of his cobwebs was his body image. Like many, he struggled with his weight for much of his life. He yo-yoed up and down a number of times, but every time he would lose some weight, he seemed to eventually put it back on even more. For lots of people, myself included, food can be very comforting, can't it? Sometimes we eat our feelings Excess fat can be a barrier we put between ourselves and others. And Carlos eventually realized that all his life he'd been trying to lose weight for the sake of other people, of what they would think of him. But when he started to want to lose weight for himself, for his own health and good well-being, that made all the difference for him. Gossip is another cobweb that Carlos talks about in the book. Maybe it's one of your cobwebs, too. Often we gossip about other people who have hurt us as a way of getting back at them or to make ourselves look better than someone else. Often gossip boils down to a lack of self-esteem. We think we only matter as much as other people think that we matter. And when they wound us, we resort to gossip every single time. Carlos also struggled with what he calls artificial intimacy, and it is a cobweb. Now, don't get me wrong. We were created for intimacy by God. And so cobwebs don't have to start off with something that's wrong or even bad. But we get twisted up sometimes, don't we? Like when we become too emotionally attached to a character on TV and it feels like we know them. Or a sports figure that we identify with too much yet we've never met them. We might go looking for intimacy on our computer screen or handheld device. Even though none of these things are real, none of these provide us with real intimacy. Alcohol is another thing that can be a cobweb for some people, perhaps not for everyone. 
You probably already know if alcohol is a problem for you or not. You see, it becomes a cobweb when it becomes a medicator, numbing pain in, that we have in our life or covering up a problem that we're having. It may be easier to numb our pain or cover up a lie that we don't want to face, but that is when alcohol is a cobweb and we, when we may end up all tangled in it. The last cobweb Carlos talks about as one of his own is social media addiction or approval addiction, and that's becoming so common these days, isn't it? It comes in two ways. First, it might come from the boost we get in our self-confidence when people start liking the posts that we put on. We begin to get our self-confidence and our value from friends and even strangers. And the other way social media can become a cobweb is when we start wishing that our life looked more like the lives of other people who are posting all of the exciting things that they are doing on their social media platforms. We go into comparison mode, and we sometimes end up feeling like we're on the short end of the stick. My friends, we have to do the work to figure out what our cobwebs are and to recognize them for what they are, hindrances or even sin in our life that keeps us from running the race that Jesus has marked out for us. I have cobwebs just like everybody else, and I hope I can be real and a little bit vulnerable with you for a moment. One of mine is being too judgmental of other people. I don't usually do this out loud, <laughs> but in my mind, I judge people way too frequently. And the lie I'm trying to cover up is that I'm not good enough and that people won't like me for who I am. And so the illogical logic goes in my head that if I judge other people as somehow being inferior to me, then it makes me feel better about myself. Another cobweb for me is being a perfectionist. Now, I don't think there's anything wrong with wanting to do my best, to put my best work out there. But you see, it becomes a problem when I don't even start to do something unless I think ahead of time that I'm going to be able to do it perfectly. And let's face it, who can do anything perfectly? No one. It also becomes a problem when I take way longer to complete a task or have difficulty completing a task because I keep trying to reach a state of perfection that I'm never, ever going to be able to reach. And for me, I think the lie that leads to this cobweb is that I'm only as good as the work I produce, that my worth is somehow not intrinsic in me because I'm created in the image of God, but that my worth is extrinsic based on what I produce or achieve. You see, a cobweb isn't necessarily illegal or evil, and it doesn't even start out bad. Doing best is good. But the evil one can take anything and twist it until it becomes a stumbling block or a cobweb in our life. 
Anger is another one of my cobwebs, and mostly I stuff this one down inside to keep it pretty well hidden. It doesn't surface very often, but it is a cobweb. Paul writes about anger in Ephesians chapter 4. Beginning in verse 22, he says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger... Do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Now, anger by itself isn't necessarily a sin. Sometimes it's a good thing. Jesus got angry in the temple, didn't he? But Paul warns us to find out what lies behind our anger before it leads to something else. What is the spider behind the cobweb. Well, what are some of the things that can lie behind anger? Well, it could be hurt or fear or frustration. And if we aren't careful, our anger can turn into our disposition. I mean, think about it. Have you ever known someone who just seemed to be angry all the time? Remember, Paul says, don't let the devil get a foothold. Anger, in and of itself, may not be sinful, but it gives the devil a foot in the door of our lives. And when we open that door, even just a little crack, there's no telling what might come in along with that anger. Resentment, bitterness, grudges, hostility may come in that door as well. The danger is you move from getting angry to becoming an angry person and if it continues, it becomes a character trait. You see, that spider is spinning its web. Most of us will avoid dealing with a cobweb if we can. I mean, it's hard work. It could be tough to face ourselves sometime. And the enemy wants nothing more than to lull us into complacency, saying things like, don't worry about it. You're okay. Hey, you can stop that whenever you want to. And when we run into a cobweb and we mess up, we do the usual. We try and clean up the initial nastiness of it. We apologize. We promise that we'll never do that thing again. We try to be better people, go to church more often. We read our Bible a little bit more. We download a sermon and we listen to it. We sometimes even have a tattoo of a Bible verse put on our bodies somewhere we can see it. But you know what? Just like those Israelites, before too long, we forget about it. And the cycle starts again. Because these quick fixes can't change us. We need Christ Jesus to change us. Christ Jesus needs to take over our life. And Christ Jesus is waiting 
to help you. You see, my friends, we need a greater power than ourselves to change. We can't do it in our own power. Romans chapter 6, verses 12 and 13 says, Don't let sin control your body any longer. Don't give in to its sinful desires, but give yourself completely to God, every part of you, to be used for his good purposes. Paul is saying that the solution to your sin is to choose the right master. We can be controlled by our spiders or we can turn over and surrender our control to God Almighty. It's our choice. So often we only want to give God our problem. But God says this, if you want me to work on the problem, you're going to have to give me everything, every part of you. Give it all to me. We need to turn over total surrender of our lives to God. And then that produces the incredible power that is God's alone to change us. So what are your cobwebs? Not sure? Never thought about it? Think about the New Year's resolutions you've made over the last few years. That might give you a clue, a good place to start. Or ask a close friend or a family member who knows you and loves you. They can probably tell you a few of your cobwebs. Ask yourself, what are the things that you keep doing over and over again? Not necessarily major moral failings, as I said, or criminal activities, but what are the things that you keep messing up and keep messing up your life? The things that keep you from growing closer to God and to other people like you want to. What are the habits that you just can't seem to break? I want that to be your homework assignment this coming week. As you sit down to have your quiet time in the morning or the evening, as you sit down with the Bible reading plan, think back over some of those questions I just posed. Figure out what your cobwebs are in the next few days. And then next Sunday when you come back, we're going to begin the process of finding that spider so that we can eventually kill it. Would you pray with me? Holy God, we thank you for your great love for us. We thank you for your mighty power, which is stronger than any other power in the world. Although there is an evil one that spins webs and lies for us, we know that your power can defeat every enemy that we have. And so God, give us wisdom and clarity. Help us to surrender to you, to do the tough work and figure out just what it is, what those things are that are holding us back from the complete and full and abundant life that you long for us to have so that we can not clean the cobwebs but to kill the spider so that we can have the abundant, joyful life that you long for us so that we can be the people that you created us to be so that we can live for you through Jesus Christ our Lord in whose name we pray. Amen.